We'd like to welcome you to our current event and weekly Bible study for September 13th, 2008. And today, and probably next week, we're going to be talking about the subject of witchcraft, and particularly how witchcraft is entered into the modern-day church. I've compiled several different articles in the last probably six months regarding this subject, so we're just going to be going through a list of these particular things. We're also going to be segueing into a study on pharmacia, sorcery, um, the modern-day pharmaceutical industry, and how that relates to witchcraft. That's not going to be probably today, but most likely next week or the week after that. The first article today is from the Telegraph, of the paper in the UK, and it was entitled, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Slaying Church Attendants Among Women, Study Claims. The old-fashioned attitudes and hierarchies of churches are causing a steep decline in the number of female worshippers, according to an academic study. This was from just August 23rd of this year, and the report claims more than 50,000 women a year have deserted their congregations over the past two decades because they feel church is not relevant in their lives. It, sa- it says that instead young women are becoming attracted to the pagan religion Wicca, where females play a central role which has grown in popularity after being featured positively in films, TV shows, and books. Now, in the UK, particularly in England, they have the highest witch population per capita than any place on earth as far as the studies that I've seen. So this is kind of already something that's been going on there. There's been a mass exodus away from any type of modern-day, most likely pseudo-Christianity that they're coming out of. The study comes amid ongoing controversy over the role of women in all Christian denominations. Last month, its governing body voted to allow women to become bishops for the first time, having admitted them to the priesthood in 1994. But traditionalist bishops have warned that the hundreds of clergy and parishes will leave if the move goes ahead as planned. Well, this is already happening in multiple denominations. And I've done a whole study on the biblical qualifications for a pastor and a deacon. And it's the husband of one wife and not the wife of one husband. So if you want to reference that, just go to the, my uh, homepage at sermonaudio.com and there's a little search box there and just type in the, uh, the word women. I also have the biblical role of women as wives and also that particular study on um, women in the, in the ministry. And suffice it to say, a woman could, is not, cannot ever be biblically qualified to be a bishop. I don't care what somebody's opinion is because the Bible is clear on this. Absolutely 100% rock solid clear. So uh, I'm not being chauvinistic, I'm just being biblical about this. So they're actually allowing women to actually become bishops for the first time in many of these denominations. And they're doing this due to pressure, doing to the women's lib, the feminist movement that started what back in the 60s, and uh, just more fruit of that whole movement. The, reporters, the report's author, Dr. Christian Ahn, a sociologist at the University of Derby, said, quote, in short, women are abandoning the church because of its focus on female empowerment, young women are attracted to Wicca, popularized by the TV series Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Now, that's a good good role model type show. You know, you've got your plethora of shows on TV right now that absolutely, totally glorify witchcraft in every way, shape, and form. That one medium, 
and there's another one where that one lady talks to ghosts or whatever, and it, every it, usually these shows team, seem to be dominated by women. Uh, they're usually the central figures and themes in these types of shows. And again, this is not—I'm not being chauvinistic. I'm just being. This is the way Hollywood typically portrays these things. Young women tend to express egalitarian values and dislike the traditionalism and hierarchies they imagine integral to the church. Well, there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Proverbs 14.12 and 16.25. So there's a lot of things that appeal to the flesh out there in the world. doesn't mean we should just go ahead and do it. The Bible is the standard, and that's the standard by which we need to be living if we call ourselves true, born-again, Bible-believing Christians. But unfortunately, that type of preaching is not going on in the churches, and as a result, a mass exodus from the churches is, is happening in part due to that. Women's ordination as priests and now bishops has dominated debate and headlines. While looking at women in the pulpit, we have taken our eyes off the pews. Where a shift with more consequences for the church's survival is underway. Now, in regard to this particular subject, when we have women being ordained and priests and bishops, you know, we can take this a little bit further because I can't tell you how many ministries are up on the internet that women are at the head of them. And women are the ones that are doing the teachings, and they're teaching both men and women. This isn't something where we can, when you get up on the internet, you can, you can. Now, granted, if you say this is just a ministry two women, four women, oh, that's one thing. But that's really not going on. And again, I'm not trying to be chauvinistic here, but what does the Bible say about this type of thing? And, and I've done a whole teaching on this where we look at what the Bible says. And there's just no biblical precedent for women having or being at the head of their own ministries and being the ones that are up there teaching both men and women. It's very dangerous. Remember, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. It only takes a little bit of leaven to leaven a ministry as well. And most of the ministries that I've seen are, are leavened for one reason or another. This is just one of the many reasons that this happens. Going back to this article, it says, But while looking at women in the pulpit, we have taken our eyes off the pews. Where a shift with more consequences for the church's survival is underway. Her research, published in a new book called Women and Religion in the West, cites an English church census, which found more than a million women worshippers have left since 1989. Dr. Ahn says the church must adapt to the needs of the modern woman if it is to stop them from leaving in droves. Okay, so here's what we do. We see all these women leaving in droves, so let's cow down to them a little bit more. It would be no different than if the men were leaving, and I'm sure they're leaving too. Okay, but it would be like saying, well, you know, let's change the Bible, let's change the Word of God, let's ignore large portions of Scripture so we can appease these people so that, you know, God forbid they don't leave because we can't have anything but that. And that's what's going on here. The, the, the church is, um, well, it lost its backbone a long time ago for the most part. Most of these denominations, a lot of them, well, if they did have a, have a, have a backbone at one time, it's, it's not there anymore. And so, this lady is saying we have to adapt to the needs. But the Bible says the carnal mind is at enmity with God. Carnal mind meaning the, the mind of the flesh. And the needs they're talking about are fleshly needs. These are things that these particular women in this particular case feel like they need. It's, it's, church hasn't become relevant. This and that. And 
and these types of things. And they're wanting the church to adapt to, and that's all we've got going on anymore. I mean, look at uh, Joel Osteen, like up on the inter- or up on um, the TV, or a lot of these Pentecostal ministries. It's adapting to the needs of the flesh and of the world. That's what we're seeing here. All these worldly and secular music programs, this type of cotton candy preaching that goes on, where it's all about God's love and, 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 and nothing about the judgment of God, nothing about sin issues or repentance, nothing about that. No, because they're, they're going to lose too much money. That's going to be unpopular. They might lose their 501c3 status. They might say something that violates the current hate crime laws, depending on what country that you're in. We can't have that. And again, this is the exact reason I came out of, of the modern-day 501c3 church. I just couldn't stomach it anymore. And it's been the best thing I've ever done. And when you do come out of that system, and it may not happen instantaneously, but there's going to come a time when you come out of it and you look back and you're going to be like, man, I can't believe I didn't do this sooner. All I can tell you is from, from my experience and the people that I've known uh, in, in our small group that have done this, we've, we all pretty much feel the same way about that. This, uh, I had made a comment the other day also. There was a, there was a man up on the internet. He was a uh, singer for uh, one of the TBN singers, Trinity Broadcasting. And uh, a friend of mine had had a, actually uh, some interactions with this particular man lately. And uh, I think his name's Rick Allen King. Real nice, long, flowing, long hair. And just, you know, the whole nine yards. The, the guy looks totally effeminate. And... I just, I just shot him out of verse. I just shot him out of verse this week. I said, doesn't nature, nature therefore itself teaches, teacheth us that it is a shame for a man to have long hair? The Bible says it very clearly. And I just said, FYI. I didn't say anything else. And I got, a, I got a response back, supposedly from his wife. And something to the effect that um, I was a sanctimonious bigot and how dare I... Uh, judge this matter and and she cuts his hair because he does it for me and that's the way I like it. That was the response I got from this guy who is a singer on TBN, long-haired, hippie-looking, effeminate guy. And this is the response I got back from his wife because it was what she liked and he did it for her. Now, how wonderful that is. I mean, I just... Warm the cockles of my heart. It was a real hallmark moment. I, I almost burst into tears. I mean, what devotion. What devotion to the Word of God. Oh, I'm sorry, that wasn't the Word of God. What devotion to a, whatever, a man. I mean, evidently he's terrified of his wife or something. He probably doesn't even care at all what the Bible says. I don't really believe any of those people at TBN do. I really don't think that that's something that is kind of an afterthought to them. They don't use... The Bible versions they're typically using are perverted. They're not King James. And I've done several studies on this issue. Just key in the study, uh, King James, and you'll find out about that. And, um, yeah, they uh, the Bible is the least amount of thing that they're absolutely concerned with. What they're concerned about is where are they going to get their next, next flesh fix? Where are they going to get, you know... <sighs> Something inside them tickled so that they feel good and, and, and so that they don't have to, they, they do not want to deal with a holy God, that's for sure. They don't want to deal with any of that, those types of issues. They just want to kind of go through life and, and sing their songs and make their money and do their thing and not be judged. And the Bible said it was going to be this way. 
It's said that evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Second Timothy 3.13, that in the end times, people will uh, give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, and they'll speak lies and hypocrisy, and they're going to have their conscience seared with a hot iron. And then, if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect, according to Matthew 24, 24. So it's something we should be looking for. It's something the Bible absolutely predicts. But yet, you look around in the church, and it was, it's as though they're totally unaware of what I just said. It's as though they're thinking, no, 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 the church is, is supposed to get better and better and better. And it's gotten to the point now where people believe in this dominionist nonsense, and the Joel's army, and... and type of uh, scenario where they believe everything's going to get better and better and it's going to get so good that they're actually going to usher in the kingdom. And Jesus Christ is going to have no choice but to come back and take the throne. We're not going to go through tribulation. Nothing. All that's been done away with. So going back to this article, it says, She believes many women have been put off going to church in recent years because of the influence of feminism, which challenged the traditional Christian view of women's roles and raised their aspirations and again, that's the exact reason that Satan worked so hard to get feminism into the modern-day pseudo-Christian movement and into the world. Because he knew this was going to happen. Dr. Ahn believes churches must now introduce services and activities that fit in better with modern women's schedules, such as Sunday morning breakfast clubs. I, there's a lot of biblical precedent for that in the Bible. I mean, they, they had those types of things. you know. See, I, I always look back to the Bible. Is there any biblical precedent, particularly in the New Testament, for these things? Wow, n no, there's not. Well, you know, maybe we don't want to be doing them. And there's so many things that the church does now that there's no biblical precedent for it all. None. So does that give us the seal of approval to go ahead and do it? Evidently it does, according to them. Because why? Well, it feels right. Well, yeah, but what is the feeling part of us? It's the heart. And the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Jeremiah 17, 9. He who trusteth in his own heart is a fool. Proverbs 28, 26. He who trusteth in his own heart is a fool. That's offensive to me. Well, that's what the world says to do. Trust your heart. It'll never fail your lead. Yes, it will. It'll lead you straight to hell if you trust your heart. So, again, the things that were taught in the world, it's typically the opposite. The polar opposite of that is, is usually the truth. Uh, then it goes on to say, Christina Rees, chairman of the pro-women bishop campaign group Watch, it's just called Watch, said the report highlighted the damaging effects that the traditionalist attitudes within the Church of England are having upon women, the damaging effects. Oh, maybe it's damaging their self-esteem. We, you know, they shouldn't be in subjection to their own husbands. Oh my! Now, granted, most of the time, the husbands anymore don't even deserve the wife to be in subjection to them because they don't even have a backbone. They need to grow a backbone first for the woman to be in subjection to them. And how you grow a backbone, I don't know. Get in the Word of God. Do something. I'm sorry, but that's most of the the reason. And I'm I, again, I don't want to just try to come down on on women today because. The husbands are the ones that should have been policing this to begin with. So it's kind of a combo effort here. Okay, So just to be fair here, then it goes on to say she added that the introduction of the female bishops will lead to a renewed interest in the church among young people and women in particular. Oh, sure it will. 
Just like if you bring in anything that's unbiblical in the church, it's going to add a certain appeal to somebody outside the church that sees that and says, hey, maybe I can go to this church because, you know, they've got rock concerts going on, and they got women bishop. I think that's kind of hip. You know, they got all these other things going on. They got their donut parties and their coffee clutches in, 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 in Starbucks. Now they've got that in Smiley Joe's church and, and uh, Saddleback church. Got coffee you know, all these things, McDonald's, I think they got a McDonald's now in, uh, I think, Saddleback Church, Rick Warren. Yeah, they got they got all kind of fun stuff in there. And um, it's just, um, in fact, we're going to talk about that a little bit today, some of the programs that they've got in churches, because I'm really not doing it justice right now. All the things that are being brought into the church in order to attract the world, essentially. But they're saying that but by introducing these female bishops, it's going to lead to a renewed interest in the church, among the young women in particular. Despite the opposition to the historic step from Anglo-Catholics and the conservative evangelicals who believe scripture and tradition teach that bishops must be male. Well, the Bible, again, is very clear on these types of things. Anyone that would call themselves either a pastor, a bishop, a spiritual overseer, a deacon, an elder must be male, and those males must meet certain qualifications. Not just any person, just not any man can qualify for, that for those particular positions. The Bible's very, very clear on what positions those are. So we can make this leap of logic and say, well, I don't really care what the Bible says. I want it this way, and we're going to do it this way. This is what's happening in the church. So... The Bible says in Galatians 4.16, Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? If this is offensive to you, you have to go back and look at what the Bible says. Your argument really is not with me, but with the Word of God. This article ends by saying, I'm absolutely convinced that when we have women as bishops, that it will send out a very clear message that women are as valued as men. The Church of England denied the comment. That's how much backbone they've got clear biblical issue, and the whole big powerful Church of England didn't want to get into it. They denied the comment. Those, the, again, those men have a lot of backbone. Really standing up for the truth. Well, they might get slapped with hate crimes or who knows. They, they might be deposed from their high and lofty places. This next article is from the last Trumpet newsletter just of this year, September 2008. It's entitled America, a place where demons gather. And uh, I'm just going to be reading excerpts from this particular newsletter. And this is from uh, the, uh, the man that, that runs this particular ministry, David J. Meyer, pastor. He is a former occultist, so he, ha he comes at this particular subject from a very unique angle. And all of his newsletters are ar archived up on lasttrumpetministries.org, lasttrumpetministries.org. He's got some really good stuff. And coming out of a highly occultic background, he has a very unique perspective on this particular subject, particularly when it relates to witchcraft, which is what we're talking about in this particular teaching. This part that we're going to be talking about here is entitled, Are We on the Eve of World War III? Those who believe the Bible know that third, the Third World War is inevitable. In Matthew 24, 6, we read of numerous wars leading up to the final world war as follows. Quote, And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. So understand and bear that verse in mind when you hear about all these wars and rumors of wars. It says, Be not troubled. Revelation 16, 13-14 
uh, we read of the final world war as follows. And I saw three unclean spirits, like frogs, come out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils, working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and the whole world to gather them to battle of the great day of God Almighty. So again, what do these spirits do? What, what are these three unclean spirits? What is the main thing it says that they do? Well, it says that they work miracles. And they're unclean. But again, when we talk about miracles, what are we talking about here? We're talking about witchcraft. We're talking about witchcraft of the highest order. Okay, so again, this is one of the chief things that the Bible warns about in the end times is going to be the chief way that the people are deceived through those miracles and the lying signs and wonders that are done. What is, but what is the source of the miracles? Witchcraft, okay, which is the essence of the coming one world religion. Going further, it says, thus we see that there is a series of wars leading up to the great final war at the end of the world. We also see that there are three unclean spirits, which are triumvirate, triumvirate power from hell, that foment this last wars. Can any thinking and discerning person doubt the intrigue we are now seeing in the Middle East, Russia, and numerous other areas of the world due to the activity of the three unclean spirits? Well, I, don't, I think we're getting a little ahead of ourselves there when saying that, because the unclean spirits are going to come out during the tribulation, okay? Uh, that's when it's so that's when it's absolutely prophesied that they're going to really be in control. The current ongoing wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, which were fomented by George W. Bush, Dick Cheney, and others of his ilk. Perhaps that is why 22,000 of our American veterans called the suicide hotline during the year 2000. Now, he, he goes on to say that there's these spirits and this are also permeating a lot of these ongoing wars. And um, he cites this where the... 22,000 of American veterans called the suicide hotline during the year 2000. We also know that 28,283 veterans have their medical claims denied by the Defense Finance and Accounting Service because there is such a backlog of claims. People coming back from war in Iraq absolutely, totally, physically devastated. I've seen Report after report after report, and there's a numerous amount of reasons. You have the depleted uranium that they're tipping the ballistics with over there, and when depleted uranium hits a tank or hits anything, it what it does is it melts through the armor. It will melt through uh, plate armor, these types of things, but what it also does is it atomizes into the environment, and then they breathe that, or it gets onto their skin, everybody in that particular region, and it causes all kind of horrific things because it's depleted uranium. It's, it's radioactive. You've got so many things, that the, the tainted vaccines that they're using. Uh, there's so many different reasons why the troops are coming back sick from that particular region and then the people that live over there are sick as well. U.S. government has found the solution to the growing backlog list of these claims and it says just to, not, to deny and ignore the claims as though they don't exist. You're not seeing these types of statistics on the TV because the media is totally controlled. So again, you know, there's plenty of proof on that. There's also a DVD you can buy called Beyond Treason where it interviews a whole bunch of these high-ranking um, military officials, and many of them were doctors that were actually over in Iraq and Iran and these types of things, and they just interview them and they'll tell you flat out what's going on over there. And it's beyond sick.
It's just one of the many, many end-time abomasties, abominations and travesties that's going on. I made up a new word there, abomasty. It's a combination of abomination and travesty. So anyway, you might want to submit that to the uh, Webster's, maybe. They apply for a new word patent. Anyway, uh, going further, the armed forces of the United States are already stretched out thin, and now the horrifying war with Iran seems to be looming on the horizon. Only a short time ago, Iran was operating 3,000 uranium-enriching centrifuges. On July 27, 2008, it was reported that Iran now has 6,000 such centrifuges, so double. And thus, they have doubled their capacity to produce the ingredients to manufacture the horrifying atomic bombs. Meanwhile, on July 21, 2008, United States, Britain, France launched a blockade exercise against Iran. This exercise was called Operation Brimstone. Now, everything that I'm reading about in this article is all referenced. Everything that David Meyer reports on, he references everything. Okay, so if you want to go and actually see each and every one of these things that I'm quoting, you can go to the website, and at the end of the newsletter, you can, you can click on it. And this is for September of 2008, lasttrumpetministries.org. It was an operation carried out by a triumviral power. These three nations, their massive ships occupying the Persian Gulf. In the light of all this activity, why does the United States continue to export countless millions of dollars worth of goods to Iran? These exports include rifles, rifle parts, aircraft launching gear, and deck arresters. This was reported in the Associated Press on July 8th of 2008 of this year. Associated Press said this. We're supplying them with weapons and we're, gonna, we're getting ready to go to war with them? That's kind of weird. Happens all the time. The companies that supply virtually all the wars in the last hundred years, they supply both sides. War is the greatest money-making machine that's ever been devised. So, again, that's a whole other subject. If we go further, then he goes on to say on our August 7, 2008, the night before the Olympics began, the president of Georgia, uh, Georgia over in the Russian region, ordered an all-out full-scale attack on Tishinvali, the capital of South Ossetia, Russia. Without provocation, the Georgians attacked this Russian city with aerial bombardments and the ground attacks against civilian targets, such as residential areas, hospitals, and the university. Initially, 1,500 civilians were killed in this vicious attack. Artillery and aerial bombardments continued until, until Tishvali. The provincial capital was without water, food, electricity, and gas. Russia anticipated the attack and retaliated fiercely by attacking Georgia with a large-scale invasion of the country. Georgia is an outpost of the U.S. and the NATO forces that is located on the border of the Russian Federation. South Ossetia also contains strategic oil and gas pipeline routes, which is the main motivation of why we're over there in the first place. It's all about oil and money and control. The London Daily Mail is calling this a pipeline war. Because it is through this region that much of Europe's oil is piped. There is much propaganda regarding this series of events. And the news media is majoring on the evil of the Russian response. And not blaming Georgia for starting the bloody war. It's absolutely, totally documented. If you were on my email list, and if you want on the list, just email me and I'll, I'll add you on. There's two lists. There's a Christian and there's a health. And I would advise you get on both because the health, I get into some things about the coming pandemics, things of this nature. But um, I got into this on the, on the uh, two to three different emails on how 
Georgia was the one that totally started this, and everything that was in the controlled media was a total lie that we were being told. Now, you could get the truth up on the Internet, and if you went and did some Google searches, you could actually get some news reports from that region of what was really going on. But again, it was stuff that was absolutely presented in the exact opposite way on the media. And the Bible says, Woe to them to call evil good and good evil, and that's what we were getting, just the one-sided report, at least in the American media. There is much circumstantial evidence that President Bush and the leaders of Israel encouraged the attack on Russia. Now, I had some people emailing me back saying, oh, how dare I say anything against Israel? We need to support them no matter... It's as though we need to support them. It doesn't matter what they're doing or what... Listen, I'm against evil wherever I see it. And I'm not going to make an apology for that, okay? And I'm not going to support Israel no matter what they do if it's evil, Okay, now, yes, we're supposed to bless Jerusalem and these types of things and bless the Israel people and pray that they get saved. And I pray to God they do. Okay, and, and I know, according to the Bible, there's going to be a shift that takes place. But the Bible says right now that blindness has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentile come in. Okay, and I do pray that, that they get saved in these types of things. But I'm just not going to support every single thing that the, gov that the government does just because they're Israel. Okay? If it's evil, it's evil is the point here. Okay? But there's a lot of people in the Christian, what they call Christian Zionist movement, that say it doesn't matter, brother. We need to support them no matter what. We don't need to question them. And we've got some of the most wicked people on the planet at the head of that government. Just like our government. Okay? The Rothschilds and these types of people have everything to do with Israel. They have everything to do with the formation of Israel. Did God permit it to happen? Yes. But let's have some biblical balance here. Okay? I am not against Israel or the Jews. I am against evil wherever I see it. Okay? Ye that love the Lord hate evil. That's what the Bible says. Ye that love the Lord hate evil. Have no fellowships with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Okay, so if we wink, at, is it okay to wink at sin as long as it's Israel? I don't think so. I just don't think so. Okay, and again, I'm not against Israel. I'm not, I think it's a, a total abomination of them going over there and, and, and America recently through Condoleezza Rice, going over there and saying, oh yes, we need to give the Palestinians more land. Yeah, we need to give them a little more land. We need to give the Arabs... I think that's an absolute total abomination. And I can prove that every time that, that we've done that as a country, judgment falls on America. And we just did it again. And look at all the hurricanes we're getting hit with. There is a book written by a guy named Koenig that goes and documents every time we go over there and try to broker some peace treaty where we give away more land, where we encourage Israel to give away more land to the Palestinians, which is an absolute total... That's a joke, okay? You, it's like giving the devil more land. It, 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 they're never going to be satisfied. Their total goal, and they have stated this in Islam, in the, in the Muslim faith, is total annihilation of Israel and the Jews. Total annihilation. That's the only thing they're ever going to be satisfied with. Okay, so now, the two things I just talked about, what is that? We're trying to have biblical balance here. We're trying to look at the subject biblically. I think that's a total abomination. So, again, just have some biblical balance when it comes to that particular matter. Going further, it says, Every witch and occultist understands full well that the United States of America is operating on occult power. The stories about the White House being haunted are true according to Hillary Clinton. I didn't know this. 
who once lived there and would like to live there again. It has been reported that at night a long dead usher is still turning off the lights and ghosts and the ghosts of Dorman often appear in the White House. In a 1996 interview, Hillary Clinton had this to say, There is something about the White House at night that makes you just feel like you're summoning up the spirits of all the people who have lived there and worked there and walked through the halls there. She said it's neat. It can be a little creepy, though. And then it says, Would Barack Hussein Obama likewise enjoy this atmosphere of hell that pervades the executive mansion? Well, I'm sure he would. Who is Barack Obama? And who does he think he is? On his recent tour in Europe, he drew a crowd of 200,000 people near the Victory Column in Berlin, Germany. From the signs and placards that were held up, it was obvious that a large percentage of the massive audience were homosexuals and lesbians. I mean, this guy is as pro-abortion as you could possibly, possibly be. That's going to be one of his first orders of business, to work on that issue. He's, he's openly stated it. And that the, you know, and now think about it. The the most highly grievous sins in God's eyes, if you look at the Bible, are child sacrifice and homosexuality. I mean, look at what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. Always, when you look in the Bible, when when God gets to a point where 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 the Lord says, "Don't even pray for this people," Jeremiah seven, Jeremiah eleven, and Jeremiah fourteen, it's always always has to do with child sacrifice. At least that's part of the component there, okay? So I believe these are the two most grievous sins on the planet, and this is the two things that Barack Obama most wants to staunchly defend. Now, does this mean I'm saying that I think McCain is the one or whatever? No, I'm sorry. It's like you've got evil and evil. Yes, I think Obama and that particular regime would be more evil uh, but then again, who knows? I don't know. All I can tell you is he's rabidly pro-abortion, and he's rapidly a, a, a defender of the homosexuals and the lesbians and these types of things. So from that standpoint, uh, I, would, I would have to give the evil edge to him, definitely. Um, but again, people are coming to me, and I have so much stuff on the internet right now about people bantering back and forth. Yeah, we've got to do anything to get McCain in office and this and that. And I, You know, it's just so frustrating because this man is... is Beyond evil as well. I found all kinds of stuff about Sarah Palin this week that is documented. Okay, Cutting Edge is the only one that's putting this information out that I've really seen. It's it's uh, truly it is the lesser of two evils. Okay, that's what we're looking at here. And not only that, you know what overrides everything that I just said? The whole fact that the voting process is totally rigged, and it's totally been proven that it's rigged. HBO even did a special on this. And I've got, I've got the, the little excerpt I can send. You can watch the whole video online. They, co- they have come out. There's, there's so many different forms of documentation when they've proven the voting process in America is totally rigged. And the outcome, from a satanic standpoint, has been predetermined. Is the Lord letting it happen? Obviously. Well, why would he do that? Well, according to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, it said that God is going to be the one that says the strong delusion, that they will believe a lie, that they might all be damned to receive not the love of the truth. God is the one sending it. He's permitting this to happen. So that is something we always have to bear, kind of put in the back of our mind in regard to all of the situation. This is why when you pray, it's very good to pray, just like Jesus prayed, where it says, nevertheless, Father God, not my will, but thine be done. Because... You don't know. I mean, you may be praying against something that God actually is going to let happen and permit to happen because it's part of the strong delusion. So it's just something to kind of bear in mind there. Anyway, going back to this article, it says, uh, 
so he had this big homosexual and lesbian following when he went over to Europe. Obama held his right arm up, then at a 45-degree angle, and thousands began to cheer and, and reach out to him with their arms extended as if they were praising some sort of God. He's, he's implying here that he was doing the old Hitler Nazi uh, salute. Okay, and why would that surprise us? Obama's wife recently made some amazing comments during, regarding her husband. She said President Obama will be a stern taskmaster. That's kind of a weird statement. He will require you to work. He is going to demand that you shed your cynicism and that you come out of your isolation. Now, that's a direct... That, he said that mostly to, I believe, true, born-again, Bible-believing Christians. We're going to have to shed our cynicism toward other religions. We're going to have to become tolerant. And then he says that you come out of your isolation. Barack will never allow you to go back to your lives as usual, uninvolved, uninformed, end of quote. Now, that's what his wife said. That was a direct quote from his wife. He is going to impose, it sounds to me like he is going to absolutely impose his iron-fisted will on us. I don't know if that's what it sounded like to you, but it says, President Obama will be a stern taskmaster. Wow. He will require you to work. Demand that you shed your cynicism. Come out of your isolation. He'll never allow you to go back to your lives as usual. Uninformed, uninvolved. End of quote. And that's... That's a pretty strong statement. The article, the author of this article says, When I heard the word taskmaster, I remembered Exodus 3.7, which reads as follows, quote, And the Lord said, I, surely, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. End of quote. I also thought of Daniel 8, 23 and 25, which says, In the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors are come to full, a king of fierce countenance and understanding of dark sentences shall stand up, and with his power, and his power shall be mighty, not by his own power, and he shall destroy wonderfully, and shall prosper in practice, and shall destroy the mighty and the holy people. And through his policy shall he cause craft to prosper in his hand, and he shall magnify himself in his heart, and by, the, and by peace shall destroy many. He shall also stand up against the prince of princes, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. But he shall be broken without hand. So again, I don't, I don't go so far as to say I think Barack Obama is the Antichrist. I think he's going to be part of the end times, though, and the, the end time Antichrist spirit. Definitely, I'd say he fills the bill there. Barack Obama travels the world in his Boeing 757, which is equipped like a flying palace. It is much more spacious than Air Force One. Obama's plane is called O-Force One. Now, I, I don't know, maybe I'm getting greedy. I, I'd like to have an, maybe S-Force One, Scott Force One, maybe. I, I, why can't I have something like Why can't I have a big twirling globe around me like uh, Smiley Joe Osteen does on TV? Come on! I, I don't know. I've, I've, here, i got a plastic clipboard in front of me. I mean, I, this isn't... This isn't right, sorry. I'm, I'm getting a little uppity today. I don't know. I, I need to be disciplined. Anyway, um, so yeah, he's got this flying palace. He calls it O-Force One. When Obama was in Jordan, he had King Abdullah II personally drive him to the Temple of Hercules. In a gleaming Mercedes 600 automobile, Obama wanted to walk among the ruins of the ancient temple, the amphitheater, the Odeon, and the Nymphphelium. It was like nymphalum, but it's nymph, like a nymph, nymphilium. Anyway, Obama then made a speech among the ancient ruins, which date back to 161 to 180 
180 AD. Now remember, this is a, everything I'm talking about today was referenced, was documented. Okay, isn't that a little bit bizarre? Yeah. The Democratic Convention is scheduled for August 24th, and that's already passed, through August 31st in Denver, Colorado. In the world of witchcraft and occult, Denver is considered to be a sacred city and is known as a place where the East meets the West. It's probably one of the reasons they chose that site. It was also in a stadium. Uh, it was probably one of the largest venues they ever had for a, uh, one of those uh, Democratic conferences. Denver is a wicked, wicked place, I'm telling you. It's beautiful. I remember the last time, or the only time I was really ever there, I went to a seminar there. This was four or five years ago. And I was in this conference, and it was, a, it was like a nutritional, um, clinical nutrition line that, that I specialize in. And they, uh, they had all these doctors there, okay? And, and it was like, you know, a whole room full of doctors, probably four or five hundred. And I found that during the whole time I was there, I was absolutely surrounded. I didn't I don't think I met one person that week that wasn't totally absolutely entrenched in New Age witchcraft that they had incorporated into their chiropractic practice and into their nutritional practice. Everybody that I talked to was an absolute total New Age adherent. I had never been around that many people and it really and a lot of them were from Colorado in, in that t particular thing. Um, the, the, the airport there, the last time I was there at the airport, I mean, that's, that's, that's got to be the most evil airport on the planet. I went and I actually found the Masonic dedication placard in the airport. I mean, I saw the thing. There's pictures of it you can go see up on, on, online. But, I mean, it had the square and compass and, you know, the Denver airport dedicated to the free Masonic or whatever. And then if you go down below, which I don't know if I would advise, they have all these mur murals down in the basement of the Denver airport. Very, very macabre. Uh, again, very macabre, eerie types of paintings down there. Uh, a lot of, a lot of, uh, you know, you, you'd have to go up, you can do a keyword search for it up on the internet, and the murals at Denver Airport. And it's in the lower levels. Now, that lower level, supposedly, underneath Denver Airport, there's reputed to be a large underground base as well. And all types of hor horrific things are reported to go on there. So, it's just not a good place, okay? It's a very pretty place. From a physical standpoint, uh, there's, it's, there's a nice mountain range right around. It's very, very beautiful, but boy, oh boy, there's a lot of evil going on there as well. Going back to the article, it says, Barack Obama has also launched a program designed to convince anti-abortionists that he is the right man for them. Obama officially stated that while he staunchly defends abortion rights, he also said, I strongly back a woman's decision to carry a pregnancy to term. In other words, Obama's saying if you want to kill your baby, he supports that. And if you don't want to kill your baby to the birth, he doesn't really care. Obama has claimed to be a, quote, Christian. But he is a Muslim who came from a family of Muslims and has siblings who are Muslims. Here let it be noted that the Bible tells us in Revelation 24 about those who were beheaded for the witness of Jesus. What religion is preoccupied with beheading? Obviously Islam. Known as the Muslim religion, the Obama family is a strange one. Now, he said he made this Freudian slip the other day where he talked about his Muslim faith. And that was even on the secular media they were talking about that. He says, my Muslim faith was an exact quote. So, see, once a Muslim, always a Muslim. You don't just come out of being a Muslim, <laughs> typically, unless you're, you're, unless you're ready to be beheaded, because usually that's the price for coming out of that religion, particularly if you live over there in that type of culture, okay? I'm not saying if you were in America that would be the case. 
But um, he did say that the other day. The Obama family is a strange one. Barack's father was married four times. There are numerous half-brothers, half-sisters. Mark Nishijdo, I can't say his name, is the son of Barack's father and his third wife. Mark lives in Red China, and he has an important job of coordinating all Chinese exports to the United States. So, in other words, Barack's, Barack Obama's brother is the one who arranges for the American buyers to fill America with the Chinese junk, defective mer merchandise, and tainted food. One more thing that should be remembered about Barack Obama is that he is a dyed-in-the-wool socialist. I can remember the words of the erstwhile Soviet premier Nikita Khrushchev, who said, We can't expect people to jump from capitalism to communism, but we can assist their elected leaders in giving doses of socialism until they awaken one day to find that they have communism. And he is. His ties to socialism and communism are, are vast, absolutely vast. Late on the witch's sabbat of Lamas, we're switching gears here, also called, I, I can't even pronounce the name hardly, it's Lungenstad, which is the sabbat of soul harvest, a total eclipse of the sun occurred. Countless millions of people watched this ominous event on August 1st, 2008, and reported an eerie presence about it. Many people were gasping and awe-stricken at this event. We know that Luke 21:25 tells us of the signs in heavens as it reads as, it reads as follows. There shall be signs in the sun, and in the moon, and in the stars, and upon the earth distress of the nations, with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring. As Christians, we believe there are signs from God, but the Illuminists, witches, and astrologers believe they are omens, and they act accordingly. The occultists advise the leaders of the nations today, just as they advise the the kings and the emperors of old. To this day, astrologers tell leaders of nations and conspiracies when to start wars and political projects. The ancient gods and goddesses are strongly demonic spirits that play the game with their superstitious human stooges. With that in mind, and with Mars, Venus, Mercury beginning to form a triangle in the western sky near sunset, it is no wonder that war broke out between Russia and Georgia on the night of August 7, 2008. Um... And again, he relates everything to, okay, this is an occultic event, okay, when we have certain aligning of the stars in the sky, or certain dates and times. Occultists, which the highest level occultists on the planet are in control of, you know, the Illuminati and these governments and these types of things, they do everything through astrology and through times and seasons and, and that type of thing. So, he relates a lot of stuff to that, and he has more of a background in that than I'll ever have goes on to say that on the date of 8808, at 8.08 p.m., the Olympic cauldron of Zeus was ignited from the torch that was ignited by the rays of the so-called sun god. This is witchcraft of the first magnitude. Here let it be noted that the original Olympic Games in Greece, which took place centuries ago, were done in the nude. Now, understand, I mean, the, the Olympic torch, the Olympic cauldron, cauldron like a witch's cauldron, of Zeus was ignited on 8808 at 8.08 p.m. You see what I'm saying here? The Olympics are pure paganism. I mean, I'm pure paganism. I'm not saying that every single participant in there is, is like a, you know, they're like Satanists or whatever, but the people that are running the Olympics know exactly what they're doing, and they're very good at what they do. So the original Olympics that were done uh, back in Greece, that took place centuries ago, they were actually all done in the nude. According to the National, National Geographic magazine, it was a time of naked sports and pagan party. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, a lot of the competitors in the Olympics, they might as well just about been nude. 
with the stuff that they wear. I mean, my word, they were barely covered, particularly a lot of the women. But again, that whole spirit pervades, and and when when it originally took place in Greece... You know, that's what it was all about. Prostitution was extremely widespread and also took place during the Olympics. The, and again, this was before. I'm sure it takes place today as well. The 2008 Olympic Committee had a new kind of problem. As numerous athletes had to be gender tested to determine if they were truly men or women. Now, it was well known that the Chinese gymnasts, uh, the, the, those, those little girls to me look like they're anywhere from between 8 to maybe 12. Okay, I don't, one of them, there wasn't one of them on that team that looked 16 to me. Not one. And it was a well-known fact that the majority of them were underage. But it was okay. You know why? Because as long as you're paying the bill, because it was being held in China, it's okay to cheat. That's the clear message that was sent, particularly with that. Because the Chinese are so obsessed with getting the most golds and winning the most medals, they don't care if they've got to beg, borrow, steal, cheat in order to get it done. Now, I'm not saying America's perfect, okay? But that's what went on there. And, and it, it sent a clear message to the rest of the world that, you know, it's okay to cheat as long as you, as long as you get away with it, you know? Because that's what happened there. These little girls, literally some of them look to be eight and nine years old to me. Disgusting. And, but, you know, hey, it's okay, I guess. As long as they don't get caught. But they had to actually gender test many of the athletes to see if they were either men or women. That was another thing that was going on. Now, again, a lot of this might have been briefly mentioned and then quickly swept under the rug because the Chinese were not going to have that particular scandal come out. I think they had enough leverage where they could strong-arm them. Going further, switching gears again, it says, People are so deceived in these last days, and our government is well aware of this condition. In fact, many people still think we live in a free country. Here let it be noted that, that there are now 1 million American citizens on the terrorist watch list, which is controlled by the Department of Homeland Security. The Department of Homeland Security has now been empowered to seize at will any and all electronic devices from passengers traveling in the United States. Now again, every, everything that I'm quoting here is all referenced. Uh, this is straight from the governmental sources. Sadly, we have become a nation that is far too dependent on electronic devices, and there is now strong evidence that millions of cell phones operating at any given time are inducing severe and sharp lightning strikes. I didn't know this. This is happening because cell phones are electromagnetic field carriers, and the outcome can be deadly. There are now 3 billion people in the world using cell phones, and many of them are in use for long periods of time. Intense research has already indicated that radiation from these phones induce brain-damaging tumors of the auditory nerve. Now, the first time a cell phone company was ever sued was when, (laughs) it was unbelievable, this one particular lady that had spent all this time on the phone, she actually had a tumor, the exact configuration of the antenna pattern on her cell phone. It was actually in her head in the exact configuration a tumor had been induced. Now again, this was all swept under the rug. There was a lot of money that was going to be lost here. But bear in mind, cell phones, if you use them enough, and if you don't, if your immune system is not what it should be in particular, they do induce brain tumors. It's well proven. Not only that, there, there's a lot of things it does to your own brain patterns. I mean, if you talk on a cell phone long enough, uh, you, your head starts to heat up, and that's part of this electromagnetic radiation that's, that's happening. Um, I use this little thing on my cell phone called a Green 8, and I really know that it does cut down. I don't notice heat when I use the uh, cell phone at all anymore. And you, know, you might want to even just look it up on the Internet. It's called a Green 8. 
and you can put it in your cell phone. It does help. Um, but again, you want to try to spend preferably as little time on cell phones as you can just because of that particular effect alone. Cell phones give off microwave radiation, which stresses the endothelial cells and damages the blood-brain barrier, which stops harmful substances in the blood from entering the brain. So again, they're doing all these things to try to affect our brain pattern and our brain waves and to get us as dumbed down as possible so that we will be as compliant of a sheep as possible. When they implement their draconian plans, we're not going to question these things. We're not going to really have the will to resist. Fluoride in the water burns out the lower brain lobes, which controls our will to resist. You've got chlorine in the water, which also adversely affects the brain and causes arteriosclerosis and cancer. Fluoride causes, actually, sodium fluoride, which is what they put in the water, causes bone softening, not bone toughening. It's not organic fluoride. That, that type of fluoride is good, but... Sodium fluoride is a byproduct of the aluminum industry from Alcoa, and they just decided to put it in toothpaste and dump it in the water. It's all about mind control. And if you doubt this, you know, either do a keyword search and get educated on the Internet. There's a book called The Fluoride Deception. Just do a keyword search. I, I think you can read the whole thing online. A lot of these books and these things that I'm talking about now are either, are either available in um, up on either Google Video or YouTube, or you can go get, get the whole book and read it online many times. Get, get educated, because we're being deceived in so many different ways that it's incomprehensible and there's no way I can cover it all. Uh, that's why I, I report on these events every week, because really, we're being destroyed for lack of knowledge, like the Bible says in Hosea 4.6. All of us are being destroyed for lack of knowledge in the day and times we're living in, to a certain extent, some much more than others. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 2.11, lest Satan get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. And there's so many devices of Satan now that are being brought about to bring about our destruction, particularly true Bible, born-again Bible-believing Christians, which are really the only true threat left to Satan's kingdom, at least on this earth. I know the Lord's the one in control. But we're his emissaries. And if he can take us out, then he's, you know, accomplished his goal. Now we know, we can read the Bible and understand that Ultimately, the true Bible-believing, born-again Christians win in the end, okay? Uh, but I think it always behooves us to be as sharp as we can mentally and physically because we're three-part beings, body, soul, spirit. If Satan can devastate your body, how can your soul and spirit operate properly? Why do I say that? Because you're only as strong as the weakest link in your chain. And if the body is the weak link in the chain, then, you know... Satan doesn't really care how he gets you as long as he gets you, one way or another. So going further, it says this last generation is one that is hooked on these electronic devices in every avenue of life. Nearly everyone is cooking with microwave ovens, which produces cancer-causing free radicals in their food. Microwave ovens have a magnetron, which is a device that generates waves at about 2.45 gigahertz. The waves of radiation interact with the food, and the energy changes the polarity from positive to negative with each cycle of the wave. This happens millions of times per second, causing the molecules in the food to rotate and cause friction. It is this friction that produces the heat that ultimately cooks the food. The vitamin and nutritional content of this food, though, is completely destroyed as molecules are forcefully torn apart in the laboratory. This is called structural isomerism. Structural isomerism. And again, that was from a quote. It's, I've known about this for a long time. Microwave food is death. Okay? It is. I'm not saying you have a bite of microwave food and you die. I'm saying if you continually eat this stuff, <laughs> you're killing yourself. 
You really are. Now, again, this is, I just talked about a couple things today. Just the cell phone issue. We touched on fluoride a little bit, a little bit on chlorine, touched a little bit on microwave food. There's tons of other things that are being done to us. And again, that's why I have my health newsletter, because I tell you about those things as well. Satan is having a field day with people and their electronic devices. The new IG3 phone, <coughs> excuse me, the new IG3 phone is being advertised in Australia in a very blasphemous way. The following words are found in the advertisement. Quote, the mobile device dubbed the Jesus phone is about to have its second coming. The IG, the iPhone 3G, the new incarnation of Apple's first foray into the mobile handset business will go on sale in 22 countries. This is clearly a mockery of the Lord Jesus Christ. We should also remember that the symbol for the Apple computer company is an apple with one bite out of it, representing the fall of mankind into sin. Remember Eve? Okay? I'm not saying it was actually an apple, but that's how they're interpreting it, okay, from a scriptural standpoint. Because we also know that the first Apple computers to hit the market in the early 1980s sold for $666. Did you know that? Yeah, the first Apple computers sold for $666. You, you got the you got their logo being an apple with a bite out of it, which represents the fall of mankind into sin. Now you've got their new Jesus phone, about to have its second coming. You know, I I think that they're probably much superior to uh, PC, and and I think Bill Gates is as evil as as anybody I've ever known as well. But they're the most flagrant by far. Apple is the most flagrant by far as as far as a mockery of Christ. So. That's something that, that I thought was kind of interesting to, to touch on there. Let's go into the next article here. This is entitled, The White Priestess of Black Magic. This is from the BBC News. And it starts out, it says, Half a lifetime ago, Susan Winger dedicated herself to reviving the traditions of the pre-Christian Yoruba gods, the, the Orishas, and left Australia to make Nigeria her home. The frail 94-year-old artist with one seeing eye has been a driving force in the Ozagogbo town where she is in charge of a sacred grove, a place where the spirits of the river and the trees are said to live. Oh, like little sea, little nymphs and fairies and trolls and stuff like this. Well, evidently it's kind of the African version of this. In an upstairs room in her house, surrounded by carved wooden figures of the gods, she receives well-wishers and devotees, who she blesses with influent Yoruba. When she arrived here, she found traditional culture all but destroyed by the missionaries who branded it as black magic or juju, as a word Mrs. Wigner reviles. So, again, what we have here is this witch coming to Africa and going to this particular region where this particular form of black magic was was practiced. And she said that when she first got there, this whole culture of black magic had been utterly destroyed by these terrible missionaries who branded it as black magic or juju. Now, I can hardly stand to look at a picture of this woman. You talk about the traditional of what a a witch you think of like around a black cauldron with with the pointy hat on a broomstick looks like. This lady looks all of that. And I really do believe that that it's a byproduct of the lifestyle that she has lived is the way that she looks. Because she looks so stinking evil, I can't even hardly stand to look at the woman's face. 
okay? And if she's that demon-possessed of the toenails, and I know she is, well, it's no wonder that her countenance is such. Friends paint a picture of a dedicated, tough, and far-sighted leader who has helped revive a culture thought destroyed by the Christians and Muslim evangelists. Now, Muslims, again, <laughs> I don't give them, you know, any credit. That's just, that's just another form of witchcraft, okay? But she's helped to revive this culture that was there and secured protection for one of the Yoruba's tradition's most sacred sites. Now, the Bible says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. And that's exactly what this witch is doing. And these are types of things that, you know, when you see something like this, just don't get mad about it. Pray specifically for this particular situation. Because this woman is being used by Satan to take multitudes of people to hell. That's the bottom line. I pray Psalm 64. Now, I pray to God, if it be possible, her soul be saved. But, you know, there comes a point where you cross a line and you can't get saved anymore. Bible's very clear on that. And again, I had re referenced that before. Jeremiah 7, 11, and 14. And then 1 John chapter 5. Uh, yeah, 1 John chapter 5. Where it's the sin unto death. And we talk about uh, where the Bible says, don't pray for them anymore. And, and again... The Bible says the Spirit of God will not always strive with man forever. There comes a time in everyone's life where, you know, you cross a line and you can't get saved. There's been many, many people on their deathbed who had numerous opportunities to get saved. And when it comes to being on their deathbed, they can't get saved. They want to get saved, but they can't get saved. They can't do it because the Holy Spirit is not there to draw them anymore. He's departed. He's left the building. So, anyway, this is, these are the types of things we should be praying about a woman like this who is such an avowed dedicated flagrant witch bent on taking as many people to hell as possible let me ask you a question would it be more merciful for god to judge her in this life that all men would see and fear and declare the work of god that they would wisely consider of his doing according to psalm 64 would it be more merciful for god to do that and for other people to get saved as a result of the judgment they see on this particular woman and they know it's god's judgment or would it be more merciful for her to continue in what she's doing and take more and more people to hell so that they burn in the lake of fire for eternity, ultimately? What's more merciful for God? So see, I think we've got things a little bit confused in regard to sometimes the way that we might pray. Okay? If somebody is wicked, and they are wicked, and they're going to hell... The Bible says that God has created everything for himself, yea, even the wicked for the day of destruction. Did you know that? It said, the Bible says the wicked go astray from the womb, speaking lies as soon as they are born. There's some people, I hate to say this, they're just wicked and they're appointed to this. And the Bible is very clear on this. I did a study on the indigo children and if, if you doubt that, I give you all the Bible verses on this. Every bit of it. Okay, it's part two of the indigo children and the star children things. And there's some people that are just appointed to this. Now, I pray that if it be possible, they get saved. That's God's business. That's his judgment. Okay? I don't know if, if it's possible. But if the Lord were to judge these types of sinful situations, what's the byproduct of God's judgment when he judges sin on this earth? It's always the fear of God. Every time. What does the fear of God lead to, typically? Repentance. Conversion of people. Look at Ananias and Sapphira and Acts when they were killed. Okay, when God struck them down. What was the byproduct? Great fear fell on the camp and many got saved. 
So again, what is more merciful for God to do? Is, is, it, is it more merciful for God just to live, let people live in their sin and live in their wickedness and take other people to hell? Or is it more merciful for him to judge? But see, people aren't praying in such a way where they're ever praying for God's judgment on wickedness anymore. We're just, we're just taught that, you know, in most of the churches, God's the big guy in the sky, and, and, you know, he's just a God of love, and he doesn't do that type of stuff. Now, I've done a whole sermon, I've done a whole teaching on this, and it's called Our Door of Hope. You can just key in the word hope in the search box. Uh, and I talk about Psalm 64. And again, that's a whole other, but I think it applies to this study that we're doing today. So this article goes on to say, in, in regard to this this lady, this white priestess of black magic, it says, but she's very humble in her achievements. Followers say she has channeled the river god, Osun, into her body. What does that mean? That means she's totally demon-possessed. She's channeled this river god, Osun, into her body, learning the knowledge of the pre-Christian deities like no other European has ever done. So see, they love to talk about pre-Christian because you know what? What they can do is come to us mere Christians and say, you know what, my religion's been around thousands of years before yours ever was. I'm better than you. You don't even have a clue, in fact. You know what, no, you're wrong. Because you know what, my, the Lord Jesus Christ created the universe. That's what my Bible says in John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same in the beginning was God. All things were, were made by Him, and without, any, and without Him was not anything made that was made. All things were made by him. My religion goes back to the creation of the universe. Okay, so don't let anybody tell you that this type of thing where they talk about these pre-Christian deities and these types of things. goes on to say, Orshna worship is a controversial belief. In the past, it involved human sacrifice, and there are rumors that that still happens at secret shrines elsewhere in the country. Well, I'm telling you right now, all you got to do is take one look at this lady... And I can absolutely see her with what they call the ritual dagger, the afami in her hand, curving into somebody. I don't think she'd have a problem with it at all, as long as the gods were appeased. That's why they do it. They do it to appease the gods. And the gods are cruel taskmasters, just like Obama said he's going to be. And, they, and, and again, if you devote yourself to any demonic entity, they're going to require more and more and more from you in order to be appeased. Always happens every time. So this religion has an absolute basis in human sacrifice, and then it, that it still happens at secret shrines. Of course it does. Devotees of the Orshnas can worship either good or evil in order to get what they want. Hey, what a great religion. We can worship good or evil. Hey, flavor of the week, man. I, you know what? I'm kind of feeling evil this week. I'm going I'm to go to the dark side this week. And then maybe next week, hey, you know what? I kind of feel bad about what happened last week. I'm going to go to the good side this week. You know, one week you wear white, one week you wear black. It kind of depends on what you feel. Maybe you have a week where you kind of feel in between. You just wear gray. Sorry. I, I just, it's hard not to be sarcastic about some of this stuff because it's so flagrant. So anyway, yeah, they, you kind of do whatever you want with this religion. It's kind of amazing. Then it says, but thanks to Mrs. Winger... The town's annual festival of Oshun has grown in size and popularity, and thousands of Yorubas come every August to renew their dedication to the river god. The Bible says there's no under, there's, there is no other name given among men, given them in heaven, whereby man must be saved, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. But see, these people devote themselves to a god that cannot save them, a god that can only take them to hell, to burn for eternity. That's the only thing that this god can ultimately 
offer them. And it's not even a god. It's either a demon or a fallen angel. Most likely it's probably a fallen angel that they're worshipping. Mrs. Winger arrived in Nigeria in 1950 with her then-husband, the linguist Uli Bayer, and traveled widely in southwestern Nigeria. In 1957, she fell ill with tuberculosis in an epidemic in which thousands died. Friend... Mrs. Davies, her friend Mrs. Davies says, Miss Winger believed the illness was a kind of sacrifice in return for the knowledge she was receiving about the gods. Wow, that's, that's kind of, is that kind of like the self-flagellation the Catholic monks employ to themselves? You know, they've got to go through all this stuff, or, or a lot of them, maybe the higher level Gnostics employ. You know, they've got to do all this stuff to themselves, or maybe they've got to sacrifice somebody or do whatever in order to attain more and more knowledge this hidden knowledge, there's always some sacrifice involved, whether it's human sacrifice, whether it's personal sacrifice, whether it's whatever. The Yoruba beliefs all depend on sacrifice, that you must give something to get something of value. You must suffer pain to gain knowledge. In her early years in Nigeria, she met Ajimo, a high priest of the creator god Obatala. He took me by the hand and led me into the spirit world, she said. I did not speak Yoruba, and he did not speak English. Our only intercourse was the language of the trees. I'm really feeling the kundalini well up, you know. I, I don't know about you guys, but I'm hallmark moment brewing here. Uh, yeah, so that was her only intercourse, was the language of the trees. And again, we have the whole environmental tree hugger movement. This relates, and it always does. Paganism always relates to that. Well, remember... She's been brought there to, to protect the secret grove. We're going to be talking about groves a little bit more um, later here. Then it says she divorced her husband and moved in with Abajamo in Azabogo, where she resolved to live for the rest of her life. So she divorced her husband and moved in with this high priestess witch doctor guy. Sounds like a real match made in hell. Miss Winger believes that the spirit world has long been neglected by the Western culture. And spirits can appear to anyone, as long as they are willing to accept them. Oh, she's, I, I agree with her about that. Says, you need to have special eyes to see them, though, she says. Yes, specifically your third eye. You need to have your third eye opened in order to see into the spirit world. And that's why when you see the Hindus with the little red dots in the middle of their forehead, that's symbolic of the third eye. And people that are high enough up in the occult actually can have their third eye open, which has to do with the pineal gland. And if you have your third eye open, which is an incredibly demonic thing, then what ends up happening is you can actually see into the spirit world. And you can see devils and demons and all that kind of fun stuff. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and end part one here. We'll continue with this uh, wonderful little story here in part two.